All right, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to John, the Gospel according to John. And we've been in a John series, and we're still in the first chapter, or actually in the first 18 verses, which is considered the prologue. Uh, we really don't start getting into the ministry of what John describes in his Gospel of Jesus until verse 19, but he he gives us an introduction to Jesus, which is quite unique to the other Gospels. Um, he is first and foremost, he is showing us and revealing to us the Gospel of God. Uh, the Gospel of John reveals that God is, that Jesus is God in human form. Jesus is God. He declares that Jesus is deity and he declares the incarnation. We're going to look at verse 14 through verse 18 in John chapter 1, and these are a crescendo. These are a powerful summary of what he has been talking about for the first uh, 13 verses. Let's read in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is before, before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy your goodness to us. Father, we pray, Lord, that if it be your will to heal the brokenhearted, fill the souls with your sweet whisper of your grace, your goodness, your love. Father, bring to their minds light that they may see your glory. We'll give you all the praise and glory. For this day is not about us, it's about you, and the, we praise and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to talk about the glory of the incarnated word. Now, we're going to talk about the incarnation. Now, I need to define incarnation. Incarnation means that God has taken upon flesh. Men are born into this world. Jesus was incarnated. What that means is Jesus existed before he was born. That's what the Bible teaches us. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. But look at verse 14. What does he conclude with this Word? And the Word was made flesh. So the Word who was with God and the Word that who was God was made flesh. And he's talking about the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus existed before he was born. He was already God when he was born. Jesus had to take on human flesh. He did not have human flesh before. He had deity before. He was God. He, was, he took on human flesh and he was all God and all man. Uh, we call Mary the mother of God, but in a better way, she is what's called the Theokotos. She is the God-bearer. Many times when you say Mary is the mother of God, it, it gives a wrong impression that Mary uh, 
gave birth to Jesus who did not exist before. Well, that's the wrong connotation. What Mary actually did was she carried God. She carried Jesus. And we know that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's the truth of the Scriptures. That is the truth. It's irrefutable. It's undebatable. You can't take it wrong. Uh, you can't misinterpret it. That is the plain teaching of the Word of God. That's who Jesus, the Christ, was all God and all man. That's what John has been trying to describe to us this whole time. Now, for the first five centuries of the church history, and even today, they have been fighting erroneous views of Jesus. Some, some will say they'll want to give him uh, all humanity, but they'll deny his deity. Or they'll want to uh, receive his deity, but deny his humanity. The thing that's hard to wrap our head around it kind of breaks our brain, and it should break our brain, because there's no rational reason, or there's no rational way to understand it. Jesus was all God and all man. He wasn't half God and half man. He was all God and all man. Uh, one nature did not dilute the other. One nature did not mix in with the other. He was both things all at once. And so that is Jesus, the Word, who pre-existed as God, became flesh. He became flesh. That's the incarnation. So when I, we're going to move forward now, just defining what incarnation is. There's been a battle over this. Uh, cults just take this way out of context. Um, but one of the reasons this is important to understand, John over and over makes the matter of acknowledging this fact of scriptures in an essence, an essential element of salvation. You must receive this fact in salvation. You must receive the testimony of Jesus Christ of who he was, the testimony he had of himself, and what he has promised. That's receiving Christ. It is, it's receiving him by faith. Yeah, you, we do not make faith on the basis of what we can understand. We do not make faith on the basis of rationale. We put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his testimony of himself, God's testimony of Jesus, Jesus' miracles, that testimony of Jesus, the scriptures from 2,000 years back prophesying that this man would walk among us and Jesus uh, fulfilled all of those prophets perfectly so the scriptures testify that this Jesus was the Son of God. We put our faith in him. That he is who he says he is, and we trust what he says he will do. We, we put trust in his promises. So that's faith. First um, John 5.20, you don't have to turn there. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Thomas, when he walked to the walk to Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. He called Jesus God. He says, you're my Lord and my God. You know, a lot of people, they don't have problems acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus. What they have a problem with is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. You can acknowledge him all day long as what he says is true. But have you submitted? Have you surrendered your pride? Have you submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ?
that he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, that in the end of all days, all knees will bow, all tongues will confess, all will look upon him, and it will be the, about Jesus. The universe from its birth to the end, from eternity to eternity, is all about Jesus. That's it. And um, something the Lord's convicted me of, I've been pastoring now for two years, and I've loved that the Lord has, has grown me in ways that I've, I didn't even know I needed grown. And as I was out, you know, the bustle and the hustle of the holiday shopping and everything, and just everything is, I mean, no matter what time you go, uh, there's a line out to everywhere. And I used to think of people as just people. Okay, that's just, that's just somebody who's blocking me in line. <laughs> that's just somebody who's parking in my spot. That's just somebody who's making my trip a lot longer than I'm, it could have been. But, you know, recently the Lord has opened my heart to understand that they're not people, they're souls. They're souls. Every single person has a soul. Every single person. That soul will go on and live forever and ever and ever. That soul will either be in heaven or that soul will be in hell. That's the reality. That's not just a random person. That's an eternal soul. That's an eternal soul. And as we proclaim the gospel, as we bear witness to Jesus Christ, that is what this is about. I am speaking to your soul. Is your soul saved? Do you have eternal life? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that when you wake up, you're going to go to heaven? Now, a lot of people will say, well, I hope so. I hope what I've done is good enough. I hope what I've done, uh, the Lord is pleased. The Bible makes it very, very clear that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned before God. None of us have done well. We may have done well horizontally. You may be a great person horizontally, meaning to each other. I may look at you in your life and I'll say, you know what, that is the nicest person I ever met. You may spend hours on the angel tree uh, and everything and supplying children and feeding the homeless and God bless you, that, they need that. That may be impressive to me, but what matters is what impresses God. Now think about this. Tomorrow, or if you all celebrate Christmas tomorrow, they're thinking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Why was Jesus born? Why did Jesus even have to come down? It's because you're not good enough before God. The things you've done in your life may be good enough for me, may be good enough for your kids, may be good enough for your employer, but it's not good enough for God who has the keys to your eternal soul. What God has done, he knows this. Rather you know it or not, he knows it, and he has brought down his son, born of a virgin, and 
He is God in flesh. He's God with us. He's the manifestation of God. He's the expression of God. He is God who walked among us. And what he has done is he has provided himself a lamb. As, as you think of the birth of Jesus Christ and how beautiful and it seems like just uh, uh, heartwarming his birth is. Think about this. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to live a perfect life for 33 years and uh, gain all the righteousness and fulfill all the law that we cannot do. Jesus did what we cannot do. He is pleasing to God. And what did he do? He went to the cross to pay. He voluntarily went as a sacrifice to pay for my sins because I need a Savior. The only way I'm going to heaven is through Jesus Christ, my Savior. I can't go on my own good merit. If I could go on my own merit, then there has been no reason God sent Jesus. Right? If there was any other way to go to heaven, why would God send Jesus? Why would God go through all of that? Why would history be written about the Messiah? that who would come and save his people from his sins. The Messiah was not a knee-jerk reaction because God saw hope was lost, and hope is lost. It's been planned from eternity that Jesus would be the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end. We would worship him forever and ever and ever for the humility that he was in his preexistence, he was in his deity. He was on his throne. The angels bowed down to him night and day and day and night. They have to hide their eyes because of his glory. And worthy, worthy. But yet he put aside those things and he came down and he suffered. Jesus, the very God, had to learn obedience. He, had to, he came under the law as we're under the law. But he kept all the law perfectly. And he had to learn humility. He had to learn suffering. And that's what it says in the word of God. So that he may be acquainted with our suffering. Jesus took on the flesh. He took on our flesh to suffer as we suffer. We, what, what do we suffer? There's a lot of people suffering. This time of year, we suffer grief. We suffer loss. We suffer sorrow. We suffer pain. We suffer depression. We suffer all the things that is the result of sin. It may not be your individual sin. It's the curse of sin. There's a reign of sin and death. Sin and death has a kingdom. But you know what the word of God says? Grace is greater than all my sins. God, the, Moses, uh, the law came by Moses and grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is greater than all my sin. I, we're in a reign of grace. We're winners. We've won. Christ is going to stand the latter day. Everything's about him. History's about him. It's called his story. It's about Jesus. All of it. And the future will be about him. Now, I wanted to, to say this. Uh, tomorrow, as we know, is Christmas. And there's a man uh, named Lewis Kiger. Uh, he's actually been here and preached before. He wrote an article that I agree with. It's called Christmas and the Christian. 
So it's centered on this thought. And I believe this is true. I believe it was beautifully written. And as we've been in Romans chapter 14, I, I hope that you agree too. There are godly and devoted Bible-believing Christians who do not celebrate Christmas. These godly and, and devoted Bible-believing Christians who do not celebrate Christians, they don't want to be judged or criticized. They love the Lord, and this is how, in their conscience, they bring glory to God. Now, at the same time, there is also godly and devoted and Bible-believing Christians who do celebrate Christmas. It's the same thing. They don't want to be judged, criticized. They love the Lord, and this is in their conscience of how they bring glory to God. In Romans chapter 14, uh, we have been there. It's all about liberty. It's all about liberty. So the final conclusion that Paul came up is whatever your conviction is, whether you do participate, whether you don't participate, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do to God's glory. Whatever you don't do, do to God's glory. And the second largest point he had, whatever the case may be, receive one another. People who have received God's grace should be the most gracious people on earth. That we forbear one another. That we understand I, you have all the liberty that you want to bring glory to God the way that you want to bring glory to God. And just be not judgmental or criticize of those who do that. Paul says that if the Lord has received my brother, so should I. That's where I stand on it. Some say, well, where do you stand on Christmas? I stand on church unity and love. Amen. And that we receive one another. And that is towards spiritual maturity that we are not offended either way. If you want to celebrate Christmas, you're not offending me. Uh, don't, you know, force your conviction on me, please. If, that, if, you, if you don't mind, please don't force your conviction on me. But if you want to do that, it's spiritual maturity. As, as we're in uh, Hebrews talking about spiritual maturity, that we're not offended. Because the Lord has received my brother, they love the Lord. They're doing what they're doing out of pure conscience because they love the Lord. Not because they're Grinches. Not because they don't want to do this or do that. Or not because they're legalists. It's because this is their conviction. And uh, that's what Paul says. Do whatever you do out of faith. If it's not out of faith, it's sin. And, but at the same time, People do not have a bad conscience towards celebrating Christmas, as long as they keep within the truth, as long as they don't go into idolatry and, and they realize. But here's the thing that we all agree on. Here's what we all agree on. All believers cherish the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we can celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ no matter what day of year it is, because we understand what it is. Um, Christ's coming was not about Santa and sleigh bells. It was about reconciling sinners to God. Christ was not born to encourage us to exchange gifts with one another, but he was born to bring the gift of eternal life to us. That's why he was born. 
The Bible focuses more on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ than it does on the birth. The birth is important. It's foundational doctrine. And like, I, and like John, uh, Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you are still in your sins. You must believe that Jesus is God. You must believe the, the claim which Jesus made of himself. So yes, it is important. It's an essential staple of the faith. But the Bible emphasizes more about the fall, about how we are in need of salvation. Why Jesus came, not how Jesus came. Why he came. He came to save sinners. He came to save you, your eternal soul. What is of greater value than your eternal soul? There's nothing of greater value. He came to die for your sins, that, and that's what John says is his purpose in writing this. I have written these things that ye may believe on the name of Jesus Christ and that you may have eternal life. You know, a lot of people get up and, and they've got the wrong idea about preachers and stomping and snorting and, 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 and hellfire and brimstone. But this is out of love, and, and I'm telling you, you have an eternal soul. You. You do. Every single person here does. When you lay your head on your pillow, do you have peace? Do you have peace that if that aneurysm takes you like that, you're ready to meet the Lord? Amen. You're ready to go into eternity because you're not coming back. You're going on to eternity. How many times do we see that? Are you ready? Um, John chapter 1, verse 14. We'll just look at verse 14. There's no way we're going to look at all the verses, but verse 14 is one of the most concise statements of all the word of God about the deity of Jesus Christ. Notice that he brings back the title, the word. You know, he's not picked up the word since verse 1 and 2. He has so far called Jesus the word. He's called him the life. He's called him the light. And now he comes back to verse 14, the Word. So this is his summary of his prologue. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the expression of God is his words. Now in the Old Testament, we're in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, and in, in Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us that God in the past and in different kind of ways spoke to the prophets of the fathers in many kinds of ways. How did God express himself to man? God had to express himself to man. God has expressed himself to us. He's given us knowledge of him in a general way, right? Creation. We see Something greater than what I see must exist. For there to be this much detail, this much intelligence, this much diligence, this vastness, that, that the odds are incalculable how any of this is accidental. How one little tiny molecule that just does not want to obey, just, it's just like a house of cards. There must be not only someone intelligent who designed all of this and created all this, but keeps it together. 
scientists are talking about this dark energy, this dark matter that's out there they can't detect. Well, I, I could tell you what it is. It's, it's the sustaining power of Jesus Christ, keeping the universe together. And so when it talks about this, it means that in the past God expressed himself to man. He expressed his truth and he expressed his glory to man in a special way. We see the general way, but in a special way, what did he do in the past? Well, he was in the tabernacle. He instructed Moses. Uh, he instructed through a burning bush. They're called theophanies. When God showed up and talked to man in one form or another, could have been him sending angels, could be any of those things which God had spoken to man. He also had Moses erect a tabernacle. And this tabernacle had the Holy of Holies, and it was divided from everything else. Everything outside of the tabernacle uh, was considered just uh, whatever, it's unholy. Or, but inside this tabernacle was the holiest of holies. And that's where God came and dwelt with man. His word dwelt with man in the tabernacle. His word dwelt with man. His expression of himself, his special expression, his glory, his grace, and his truth dwelt with man through his words, through the prophets, through various ways. But in Hebrews it says, But in these last days has spoken unto us by his Son. Jesus is the Word. That means he is the express glory and truth of God. Because he is God. Jesus is the embodiment of God himself in man. He's all man and all, all God. And it's a beautiful truth there. The Word, Jesus, in His deity was made flesh and dwelt among us. That dwelt among us means He tabernacled. It literally in the Greek means He tabernacled with us. And the symbolism, you know, I was thinking, I mean, John, as, as he's getting ready to write this letter, we know John loved Jesus. I mean, he loved the Lord. He Whew. I mean, you talk about worship the ground he walked on. That's exactly what he did. He worshiped Jesus Christ. And he said, you know what? How can I start this, this book? How can I put Jesus into a word that expresses everything who, who he was? And he says, you know what? He is the word. He's the very expression of God. In Hebrews, it says Jesus is the express image and the brightness of God's glory. He is God with us. That's who Jesus is. He's Emmanuel. He was born. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And the picture that John is using here, the Word, Jesus himself, God incarnate, became flesh. He no longer is talking to us through tabernacles. He's no longer talking to us through earthly priests or through burning bushes or through smoke signals or through any of these things because he himself embodied a man, the man Christ Jesus. And he became the fullness of God, full of grace and truth. And he tabernacled. The presence of God was in Jesus, he tabernacled the Shekinah glory within him and walked among us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful just word, art, and language 
But look at this. We beheld His glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There is a um, Christmas. I'm not against Christmas. I, mean, I, I love Christmas songs as long as they're doctrinal. And you can sing them any day of the year. Um, I don't know if y'all know this, but John Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Did y'all know that? The, and it's doctrinal. It's a good song. Uh, it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Veiled in Jesus' flesh, we see God, the Godhead. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Mild he lays his glory by, born that we no more may die. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus was born that we may no more die. Born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. You know, we certainly celebrate the gift of God. It is grace and truth. He's the embodiment of grace and truth. That's what verse 14 says. It says, John bear witness of him. And how, we, how John had cried, it was a voice crying in the wilderness. And, you know, the picture there is in the Old Testament when the Ark of the Covenant would be moved and being going, uh, there would be trumpets. Anytime a king would go anywhere, there'd be trumpets that would precede the king. John the Baptist was Jesus' trumpet. He was the herald. That he had cried out. He had the spirit of Elijah. And one of the beautiful things, we didn't have time to go into it, but look at Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 42. Isaiah 40 is about the prophecy of Jesus' herald about John the Baptist. He is the one crying with a voice in the wilderness. And that cry is cry out. He's trumpeting. He's loudly speaking. Here comes the Lord. He had boldness. He's like, get your acts together. Repent. Be saved. Be baptized. Because here he comes. The one who comes is coming. That's another title that Jesus had, is Jesus is the one who is promised to come. He is the one who will come, and he became the one who has come. And all throughout the Old Testament, and that's why John the Baptist was like, are you the one who has come, or do we look for another? The one who has come, the Messiah has come. John was the witness of Jesus Christ. But Jesus himself, the description in Isaiah 42, said that he will not lift up his voice. Neither will he bruise the reed. Neither will, neither will he exalt in loud language. John the Baptist was his trumpet. And then, real quickly, look at verse 16. And of his fullness have we received and grace for grace. John bore witness. And he saw the fullness of Jesus' grace. But look who he includes in verse 16. He's not the only one who has felt the fullness of God's grace. You know who else has? We. Have, do you see the fullness of God's grace? Do you see the fullness of grace and truth in Jesus Christ? We can witness. Just as John witnessed. 
We are to be the Lord's trumpets today. The Lord's church are to be the John the Baptists. Jesus came not trumpeting. He didn't have to trumpet. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We trumpet. Here he is. Here is the one who comes after me, though he was preferred before me. Here is the one whose shoe latches I'm not worthy to unloose. Here comes the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. John was charged the trumpet, the herald has called that he is coming. We are charged the trumpet, the call that he has come. Today is the day of salvation. Today, repent of your sins. Jesus has come to save, to seek and to save those who are lost. I pray that your soul is secured. I pray it is. And that grace for grace, it's kind of an idiom. What it means, just kind of like joy for joy, means abounding joy. Grace for grace means abounding grace. Those who have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who've been born again, you've been rescued from the wrath of God to come, we all can be a witness to the grace of God, can't we? We all can. Because we have felt the fullness of His grace. You know what the fullness means? That there's nothing lacking. There's nothing left. There's no room for more. Grace and truth. Jesus was a very embodiment of grace and truth. He did not just come speaking grace and truth, but He is the person of the Godhead. He's the second person of the Godhead. He is God in flesh with us. He is Emmanuel. And he is grace and truth. And we flee to him for refuge. Oh, just how sweet it is. Even in our darkest days and when the waves are crashing down and, and it just seems like, you know, um, I think the 21st was a winter solstice. So congratulations, everybody. We're heading back towards longer days. But it's just been a dark month. It has felt like a dark month. It has just felt just dark. And uh, we, I just miss the birds singing and everything. But even in those darkest days, well, when we start and we meditate upon how much the Lord loves us and how secure we are in his blood and how he has a work for us yet to do, our, one day the, it'll be dark. One day we will not work. Our work will cease upon earth. May the Lord find us faithful in all that he, that he has given us to do. Let's not major on the, the, our distractions in life. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And look to the Lord, the hope of our glory. Let's pray. Jesus, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we know it is rich. As your grace is rich, it's unending, it's unbounding. Father, what food it is to us, what nutrition. Father, it has been so good to be in your house, to be fed again, to be encouraged again, to have our hearts surrender our prides and look to you in full worship, for you are worthy. Father, we do pray, Lord, for the hearts that are heavy today, that you be with them, lift them up. Father, give them joy, even in tears. Father, for the hope of the glory which we have, we know our days are short. We know that you are going to perform a short work of righteousness upon earth. Father, may we look to others and the needs of others. Father, knowing that you have provided all our needs. 
that you have saved us and secured us in the blood of Jesus Christ for sure and forever. Lord, thank you for the ones who are here today. I pray that you bless them and you speak with their hearts. And may we all be a help to any way we can for them. In Jesus' name.